0: Good everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Be it's Saturday morning. Good morning. Thank you. Welcome to Powerful Funding Makes History Possible. Um, today is September 19th and we're talking about t- treasure um, derived from taxes and it also happens to be international talk like a pirate day. Arr. Arr. All right. Thank you. All right. We thought about trying to do the entire presentation in Pirate, but uh, we we figured for clarity we we should stick to regular English. But if you wish to ask questions along the way um, in Pirate, that will be greatly appreciated. So um, uh, our purpose today is to give you an introduction to four different tax schemes, uh, ways that we um, raise funds to impact history from four different areas. We've got a sales tax, lodging tax, Check, tax checkoff, um, so you can on your tax return donate something to that cause, and then also an environmental offset tax. Um, introduce our uh, speakers today, or instead of our presenters, we're your pirates for the day. This is me um, from a year ago. Um, to my right, Eric Taylor uh, from Four Culture in King County, uh, Washington, Andy Verhoff from Ohio. History connection and then uh, I regret to say that Kristen Hahn Burgoyne couldn't be with us today it's always the the hazard of putting in these proposals a uh, year in advance and and then there's always a fiscal year change and and so she wasn't able to be with us with a change in her agency um, but she sends both her regards and her notes so I will read those um, at the end so that we at least have those so here's our treasure map we're going to do those in the order in which I mentioned them. Um, so have hope, all ye who enter here. These are the, the, the five things that we said we would do in the session description. And so we will <coughs> accomplish those for each of the four. Um, feel free to ask questions along the way. But we're going to try to give you a high-level overview of each of the four quickly, and then be able to come back and have some questions about um, the peculiarities, nuances, et cetera., that you may see um, as you're thinking about strategies in maybe your own state, in your own county, in your own city, um, and how to um, uh, think about the potential of these taxes and what uh, to watch out for and, and so on. Um, does that make sense for this morning? All right, see lots of head nods. Um, I also have to say that um, this entire session is being recorded. Uh, for the American Association for State and Local History. So um, just bear that in mind as we go through um, this morning. Here's our treasure map. We're going to start off with sales tax. Um, So as I said, David Gravitsky from the Minnesota Historical Society. Um, In Minnesota, we have a funding strategy that's a a statewide sales tax. It originated in 1991 as Senator Dick Cohen was looking for a way to put more money into the arts. So not necessarily history, but arts. Um, Fast forward into the early 2000s, hunters and fisher people, uh, belovedly known as blasters and casters, um, also wanted this kind of tax. didn't go um, very far. And uh, the legislature sort of put together those two efforts into one, Campaign in 2008 called the vote. Yes campaign. You can see the thing there and every Minnesotan gets these I voted stickers that year in 2008 which was a recession year um, And this is a tax so we're raising taxes on ourselves in a recession year It got the largest vote of any statewide candidate that year it it beat out Um, I think we had a senator up for um, vote and governor and and of course the presidential campaign and so on. 56% of all Minnesotans is a very tough high level um, thing to do because we're putting this into the state's constitution, it's a constitutional amendment. And um, in order for it to pass, 56% of the people voting had to vote, intentionally mark yes. So if they said no or if they didn't say anything at all, that was all no votes. So that tells you exactly how popular um, this particular thing is. It adds three-eighths of a cent to, to our sales tax, so for every hammer, mattress, car, refrigerator, etc., that you buy in Minnesota, three-eighths of a cent for every dollar that you spent on those things goes into a special fund. It initially began raising about $140 million a year um, in its first fiscal year of fiscal 10. Um, today, it's up to about $150 million, and that tells you something about uh, sales taxes. They're very stable, and they tend to grow at the rate of inflation. Um, so it's, it's all very it's – a, it's a good thing. Um, the constitutional amendment divides them into four um, different categories, 33% for land, 33% for water, for parks and trails, and then 19.75%, almost 20%, goes into arts and cultural heritage. That particular (coughs) fund is divided into about 20-some different ones, and uh, one of which is history. Within history, there is a grant program, so, um, so it's like one of 10 things from 20 things from four things is how we get there, so from the big down to the very little. We put in about $6 million a year. We've invested about $26 million over the last six years into local historical organizations all across the state. Whether it's appropriate or not, it's always a debate, political debate. Of course, I think all of us as Americans would love to see our legislators, our elected officials do the right thing, put money in um, where money needs to go. Um, And and we always are a little hesitant about some of these um, these uh, guaranteed taxing strategies that funnel money into specific things. But it seems to have worked quite well um, for us in Minnesota. Um, So, pros and cons. Yes, I I had to get Johnny Depp into into the mix. Um, The the, the pros are um, all of that funding going in and doing lots of great things. And I've got a clip to share with you in just a second. Um, But the con is, in the constitutional (laughs) amendment, It says that the funds raised must supplement and not replace traditional sources of funding. So while this isn't a total con, you know, total um, reason not to do it, it also has caused a lot of conversation um, in our community about what truly is replacement and what truly is supplemental. Um, You know, a, a local historical organization should catalog its collections They just haven't been able to get to it because they don't have the funding to do it. So is this replacement or is this a supplement? All right, But it it does come in um, quite well uh, with the threats in just a moment. I'll show you um, something about that. Um, The the impacts on this are many. Um, Here we see the Northern Bedrock Historic Preservation Corps uh, taking care of pioneer cemeteries. So, they're taking the conservation core model and improving um, Pioneer Cemeteries. Very popular thing that's uh, going on in our state. It's, it's creating jobs. Um, the economic impact is fairly high. Um, I believe the last uh, economic um, study, which was done a year ago, it's about $6 for every dollar invested, six more dollars went into the economy. So, um, it's having a huge impact. And one of the biggest impacts, and I want to play this for you is um, from our uh, one of our um, uh, folks at... Uh Legacy funding for Northwest
1: Minnesota, specifically in collaborative efforts like this exhibit with Minnesota's Historic Northwest, has really made an enormous difference in terms of access to not only um, history, but also to kind of facilities um, traveling exhibits, you know some of the basic things that small
2: museums need, like heating and cooling, right um, things like archival supplies, materials, um, being able to produce quality exhibits
1: that we might not be able to afford otherwise, being able to produce quality programming for people that we might not be able to do otherwise. So it's really allowed us to almost
2: act as though we are a large-scale institution um, on a more kind of intimate rural level, which is a wonderful thing.
0: And I I think that last um, uh, comment um, that uh, Amy had for us about being able to operate like a large-scale institution on an intimate rural level... Really sums up in a nutshell how important and how much the money has meant to local organizations all across uh, Minnesota here's a sense of where the the funding is gone. Um, I'm from Minnesota. We can't get away with showing you a map Um, You can see the 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 two counties kind of down in the in the lower corner there That's the Twin Cities area where many of you if you attended with us last year at ASLH um, That's where we were the the large county to the north, that's Duluth and the Iron Range. Um, but uh, you can see the, the funding has distributed all across the state, um, multiple grants in, in every county. And that's really what it, it's meant to be is, is statewide in its impact. And it, it has had that impact. Roughly two-thirds of all the funding that we've spent uh, out of that $26 million has gone into um, the non-metropolitan part of Minnesota. Um, when really the population is sort of reverse of that roughly two-thirds of all Minnesotans live in in the metropolitan area um, so it, it has gone to take care of lots of, of uh, long-standing needs one of the biggest impacts that I want to um, Say for just a, a, a moment is lack of County, so um, just to give you a sense of where this is um, So far western Minnesota Lacaparrel County, when I started in the grants office in 2000, had not received a grant for history projects from the state of Minnesota since 1975. And I made it my life's mission to find a way to help the Lacaparrel County Historical Society or any of the other entities in the area um, do something um, with the funds. And I'm happy to say that uh, you can see the big impact, 11 grants um, out in Lacaparrel County since 2009. it's really turned that organization around in a very significant way. The threats, I um, hate to, to end on a down note, but each of us are going to wrap up on, on threats. Um, the, uh, the There was a, a, some ideas floated by legislators that the Vikings were a cultural amenity and, and that perhaps legacy funds could be used to help pay for the new stadium. Um, many. Uh, Local organizations raised their voices and, uh, and, and that didn't happen. The the Cass Gilbert designed Minnesota State Capitol that you see under wraps here um, also was floated as a potential idea because it combines both art and history. Uh, it's listed in the National Register of Historic Places and has a lot of, of uh, highly valuable art that was designed for it and uh, um, that too was turned down by um, folks across the state. So as you're thinking about these funds, realize that when you create a new pool of money, there will be other eyes watching, and that um, liberty is uh, the eternal vigilance is the price of liberty, right? Um, With the Capitol, uh, the legislature did appropriate a couple million dollars um, this year for art um, conservation inside the Capitol, but they did the right thing. Um, in appropriating about $240 million in bonding dollars, that's that um, you, you have to supplement and not replace. Well, the traditional sources of funding for state-owned buildings and, and their maintenance and care in Minnesota is bond dollars. And so that was the argument that was made. Please use the bond dollars. Um, bond, do the right thing. Bond for the um, renovation of the state capitol. Um, it's just that the conservation needs of the, the art for some reason uh, hadn't been included, and they needed to to amend uh, their funding strategy, and, and it seemed like the uh, simple, straightforward way to go about it was to use some funding out of our uh, legacy uh, dollars, but that's just for this year and next year, and and then uh, uh, the capital will be back online, and um, the, the fund will continue to grow. So, with that, moving on, uh, Janice. So the the question is who makes the determination about how the money is distributed? It's, it's in several uh, layers, as one might expect. The The legislature must appropriate it. The governor might make recommendations about it. The governor ultimately has to sign whatever the legislature appropriates. For the grant program that we operate, it's a panel of 13 uh, citizens uh, that with knowledge about the work, and we try to be as broadly uh, inclusive as possible—the big tent of history idea—with historic preservationists, archaeologists, librarians, local historians, genealogists, et cetera, et cetera—the the big tent of who we are as a history field—is uh, broadly represented on that that committee. They look at uh, anywhere from 80 to 120 uh, applications per year. Um, and make their recommendations to the Minnesota Historical Society's Council, which is al- ultimately responsible for signing off on it, and, and that's fairly straightforward. So the history money goes to the Minnesota Historical Society and So the, the question was whether the money went through the Minnesota Historical Society, and the answer is yes. Yes, sir.
1: Is there a political divide uh, uh, over this subject? Is it, is it polarized, or is it pretty much
0: both political parties uh, recognize the need for this? So the, the question is whether uh, the, the money has um, created some uh, political tension. Um, what we like to say is history is the, the greatest nonpartisan and bipartisan issue of all time. Um, both parties are enthusiastically behind it. Uh, the chair of the, the very powerful House Legacy Committee has uh, shifted with just about every uh, election cycle between the two parties, and uh, consistently both have, have uh, been big champions for history. We'll move on. Yes, ma'am. So the question was, um, during the recession of 08, 09, did the treasure come under attack? And the answer is yes, in the form of the Vikings, and they're marauders, right? Um, and, 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 uh, and the capital. So we had those two as well. And, and then the, the whole question about supplement and supplant, and whether or not they could cut um, all of the arts and, and hunting and fishing sorts of things and backfill with, with that funding. But the Constitution is very clear. Um, and, and, you know, I think in general people are um, willing to abide by what the Constitution says, that it must supplement and not replace.
1: So, so you repelled borders successfully.
0: We did. Okay. And so we'll move on to lodging.
2: All right, so I'm Eric Taylor from 4Culture uh, in Seattle. Uh, and we're, we're a unique uh, organization, I think, uh, we have four different disciplines under one roof. Uh, we're primarily a funder, but we, we cover public art, arts, uh, preservation, and heritage, and I, I head up the heritage aspect. Uh, <clears throat> there's a direct correlation between the existence of uh, our organization and the lodging tax. And I just want to say, as far as the uh, origin of, of the lodging tax, it was not intentional. That it ever support uh, cultural purposes. Uh, it was in. It was initially um, uh, created to fund the construction of the now departed Kingdome in uh, in Seattle, uh, which served as a multi-purpose um, sports arena um, with Seahawks and Mariners both playing there. Um, and the the funding was. Uh, Established with a, a 2% tax credit um, against overnight stays, uh, the folks who were paying uh, the lodging tax uh, when they came to visit Seattle, and the uh, over the course of the of the years uh, that it was being collected, uh, there was a there was a, a cap of 5.3 uh, that was required uh, to pay off uh, the bonds on. Um, on the Kingdome, and when the money we, that was coming in surpassed the $5.3 million annually, uh, there was an astute legislator, state legislature uh, named Jim McDermott, who is now uh, a congressman, who said, well, maybe we should do something creative with this excess, uh, and it, it should go for uh, the arts. That was its uh, then... the the initial part of the funding. This was back in uh, 1991. At the time, uh, our organization was the Arts Commission uh, in King County. And the money came through the Arts Commission and um, there was a delay in the source of the funding uh, coming to uh, the organization, a delay of one year, which has really uh, served us well because we uh, as a, as the agency know how much money is going to be collected uh, before we begin to distribute it, we don't have to try to uh, guess what the budget is going to be. Heritage uh, came uh, a little later to the formula, and it was it was the King County uh, uh, Heritage and, and Preservation um, Commission that was then. Folded in with the arts commission, uh, it was it was then an agency of of King County that um, managed the the distribution of of the lodging tax. Um, let's see if there's other origins here that you should know about.
0: Uh,
2: it has a it has a, a a strange formula for collecting, which I think is uh, too complex to really go into year, but it's, it's the kind of thing that um, we, can, we can kind of count on from year to year, and it is the, um, the source for a number of, of different um, of programs that we run, and of course we run them across the board. In addition to the lodging tax, uh, our agency also collects uh, 1% uh, for art, uh, and that funds our public art program. So as far as uh, when I was looking at this and putting this together uh, with with, uh, David's um, formula here, I I had a little trouble with with, uh, whether this was an appropriate fund or how it was appropriated. But it is both. Uh, I think it's a very appropriate fund uh, because the very thing that – that visitors to Seattle come for are the kinds of, of uh, amenities that we are funding. They are coming for the cultural richness of, of King County, and I think there's a, there's a, a lot of uh, synergy there um, between the source of uh, the revenue and what that revenue does to keep the uh, cultural um, community robust. Uh, but looming there in the background is the state capital, which always is keeping an eye on uh, what we 're doing and i when we get to threats i will I will talk about how that will come into play okay. so the pros and cons, and I thought about this I thought because i 've always felt like um, this was a, a very appropriate uh, funding source for us we do an, A number of different programs with it Um, under the heritage um, program that I operate we do uh, um, sustained support we do project support we do capital funding we do equipment funding and um, we provide a program that I uh, created when I came on which is specifically for collections care so all of that that funding I think um, Fits into what we want to do uh, as far as um, moving it forward. The problem is, uh, the pros and the cons, is that when when the economy's doing well, the lodging tax is doing well. And when the economy is not doing so well, neither is the lodging tax. We, if you'll see that one photo, this was about 19, early 70s, when uh, there was the, the Boeing downturn and all of a sudden, uh, Seattle went bust uh, right now we're in a boom and as a result uh, the lodging tax is is very robust and it's allowed us uh, this year uh, to um, provide some additional funding for for capital projects as a result of that of that boom so impacts um, I would say what's great about this Program is that we do have a lot of um, organizations that we are funding, uh, arts and heritage and preservation uh, projects uh, across the county are um, benefiting from uh, the program. As a result, we have a strong fan base. Uh, you're very popular when you're able to distribute funding, uh, and it's it's kind of amazing because. Uh, for years, I was on the other end. I was on the asking end. Now I'm on the giving end. All of a sudden, everybody is my best friend. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I think here you have an idea of, of the kinds of projects. It funds, it funds from large organizations to uh, rural, uh, smaller uh, museums. Uh, it, it funds uh, projects and um, just across the board, um, we have this strong uh, support from the recipients of the funding it's done on a competitive basis as far as uh, how we um, manage these programs. We have peer panel reviews for all of the programs that we run, and it's it is based on merit uh, for the awarding of those funds so Everything's going along just fine with the lodging tax, and then the threat comes. Suddenly, uh, we decide that the Kingdome uh, needs to come down, and it's imploded. And we need to build not just one, but two new stadiums. So uh, the Mariners got a stadium for themselves, and uh, the Seahawks got their uh, stadium as well. But in order to fund uh, those uh, stadiums, there was a there was a little um sleight of hand in the legislature, and suddenly the formula that was providing uh, funding for cultural programs uh changed and all of the lodging tax that was going to be uh, collected uh, from twenty thirteen to twenty twenty one was going to go to pay off the stadiums we were we were left by now you know we were a separate entity from the county we're we're a public development authority now with the lodging tax being the um primary source of not only uh the money that we distribute but also for our administrative costs so we um had to go to the legislature for seven years uh every every year for seven years uh, to try to get some legislation in place to uh, uh, safeguard uh, the lodging tax for the future use of um, cultural programs. Uh, we had been required by law to um, keep 40% of what was collected to put into an endowment fund, with the idea being that the endowment would be the, the source to, to keep us moving forward, which was uh, never going to happen. But we did get uh, after those seven years, in, at, the, at the last minute, we were uh, allowed to um, spend down, use that lo- uh, endowment fund that we had collected to, to, as a bridge fund for the seven years that we would have no lodging uh, source, lodging tax source uh, of, of revenue. And uh, now uh, with the Kingdome paid off this year, even after it's been um, rubble for more years than that we do uh have this one time uh additional funding because part of our legislation allowed us to use whatever lodging tax was collected uh to pay off the kingdom uh, would would come to uh for culture after that debt was retired so that happened in march uh we now have a little m- more money that's going to help us span the years until 2021 when we will be able to tap into the lodging tax but those, that political threat, I think, is are the biggest ones because, as David said, when someone sees a pot of money, uh, all eyes are on it, and so you have to be ever vigilant. All right. Seeing none,
0: Andy. Check off. Yes. I have to say,
1: Eric, um, I have to amend your statement about being everybody's friend. You're everybody's friend until the regrets
2: letters go out. Um, <laughs> No, you're, you're, uh, uh, you counsel people at that time. Right, right, yes. Right, yes. right,
1: right, right. Um, <coughs> yes, absolutely. Um, uh, the Ohio History Connection just adopted a new strategic plan, and part of that plan calls for us to put history in the hands of Ohioans. And that's what our grant program helps to do. Uh, the grant program is called the History Fund. It's a competitive, ma- it makes competitive matching grants that enable local historical organizations, and organizations, nonprofits in general, that have history projects um, to save and share their, their community's history. So it really, the grant program, the History Fund grant program that we have really fits into our overall mission, as it does uh, with my colleagues' organizations. Uh, we have a tax checkoff. We were inspired by other tax checkoffs on the state income tax return in Ohio. As of 2010, the year before 2011 before our tax checkoff started, there were two tax checkoffs for the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, uh, for state nature preserves, and for endangered wildlife. Over the past seven years, from 2007 to 2014, the uh, endangered wildlife checkoff brought in an average of $300,000 per year. The tax checkoff for state nature preserves brought in an average of $355,000. A a tax checkoff for military injury relief administered by the Department of Veterans Services brought in an average of $527,000. So that was, um, so tax checkoffs, we think, are a very good way to go. Um, Oh, right, uh, for those tax checkoffs? Oh, don't, Thank you. Thank for you for.: the Oh, they asked what a tax checkoff was, Janice. Uh, that's a good question because tax checkoff is just a term of convenience. On your Ohio income tax return, which we'll see here shortly, the, there, there's a, a, a part of the Ohio uh, state income tax return. It's not really a checkoff where you check a box. You can donate a part of your income tax refund, so it's really, I guess, a write-in you can write in an amount from your uh, state tax refund to donate to Military Injury Relief, uh, the Ohio History Connection. Uh, there's a new tax checkoff, actually, that came on in 2014 for breast and cervical cancer research. So if you get a refund of 100 bucks, you can write in $5 for the Ohio History Connection, and you can write in amounts. Um, one thing I want to stress, and I am getting ahead of myself a little bit, is this isn't uh, you, you can give to as many tax checkoffs as there are in the forum. Uh, we had a meeting with the other tax checkoffs here recently, and we, we wanted to dispel the rumor that we're in competition. Uh, personally, we give to all the tax check- checkoffs. They're all good causes. Uh, now, we give the bulk of it to the Ohio History Connection, of course. <laughs> but uh, it's not a zero-sum game with tax checkoffs. So it's uh, ter- tax checkoff is just the terminology we use in Ohio. It's really a, a tax refund, I guess, right in. But those are more words, so we just say tax checkoff. Okay. So that's what it looks like on the form. Uh, slide, please. Um, we um, okay. So uh, let me just back up a little bit. Our friends in the legislature advised us when this was starting. Uh, And it started in 2006, the movement to get a tax checkoff or a a tax write-in started in 2006, and it took us three legislative cycles, two years, to to make this thing happen. And it took a lot of advocacy on behalf of our partners, on behalf of a group called the Ohio Local History Alliance, uh, the Society of Ohio Archivists, two statewide preservation organizations, county records managers. I mean, this was a sustained effort. To tell our state legislators to please, in the state budget, add this tax checkoff to the tax form, um, and uh, and when we were considering it, advocating for it, they said, you know, you, you shouldn't make it necessarily for the Ohio history connection, but you should perhaps think about a way to distribute this money out out to the. Out, out, to, out to the state, out to local historical organizations, which fit in with something we wanted to do in the local history office for a long time. Uh, for any of you who have worked with local historical organizations, you're getting phone calls about do you have grants, what sort of resources, what sort of money do you have available for us. We got phone calls like that uh, as long as the offices existed. And we never had a, a mechanism, we never had a grant program. We would recommend people to the Ohio Humanities Council and other sources, community foundations, and things like that. But we never had our own money to give away. Through this tax checkoff, uh, we have that. We have that now. Okay. Um, so uh, the, uh, the funds themselves, uh, they come through the tax checkoff. They also come from a license plate. Oh, go back to the license yeah. plate. Um, uh, last year, uh, the state created a, uh, a license plate for us for Ohio history. So uh, they cost $30. Uh, $20 of that comes back to the Ohio History Connection for the history fund. A third mechanism for financing the history fund are through outright donations. You know, you could just make a tax-deductible donation to the Ohio History Connection. But I have to say, most of our money, really 99%, I've done the math, comes through the, uh, through the tax checkoff. And it's not really tax money it 's a donation mechanism. people can freely donate a part of their income tax refund, state income tax refund uh, to the Ohio History connection for the for the history fund, as far as pros and cons go and implications of this funding, I have to say some of the things i 'll say here kind of overlap with threats. Um, the level of contributions goes up and down from year to year, uh, at least in this initial three year period. Um, and so we have to make our case every year. Uh, go to my next uh, slide. So we have a, an awareness program uh, featuring three characters so far from Ohio history. I'll pass some swag out uh, shortly. Uh, so we have Annie Oakley. Oh, shoot, my taxes are due. So don't forget about the tax checkoff when, uh, when tax time rolls around. Like I say, the amount we get varies. In our first year, 2012, went on the tax form in 2011. 2012, we, we received 153 thousand dollars to regrant. The following year, we received 138, and we were like, "Ooh, we got to do something." So that's where this this that's where Annie came from. Um, so in 2014, we received uh, 171 thousand dollars to re-grant. So Annie and the Wright brothers and U.S. Grant are doing their job. Those are the three characters. Uh, this year. All the tax checkoffs in Ohio are way down. We're kind of worried. Uh, as of now, we have seventy-nine thousand uh, dollars, and then we'll take we take twenty percent of that to cover administrative costs. So we regrant eighty percent of that. Um, and uh, we met with the other tax checkoffs. We met with the Department of Taxation. I'll go to my next slide, please. And we asked why, for heaven's sakes, are the are, now all the tax checkoffs are down? It's just not us. We asked why, and they said. Uh, New identity theft prevention measures. I guess fraudsters are getting in through uh, tax refund donations somehow. Don't even ask me how it works. But um, they are attempting to get into the system and steal people's tax refunds. So the Department of Taxation implemented a very rigorous program where if you give a donation of a tax refund, you have to fill out a quiz you know, proving your, your identity before the software goes through. So, yeah, uh, my mom told me I could be anybody I wanted, and please call this identity theft. So, um, so that's a threat. And then the next um, threat, I guess, pro-con, is 89% of Ohioans file their incomes, uh, file their tax returns electronically. So, um, and a lot of these software packages promise the biggest refund. So they're less inclined to highlight ways that people can donate a part of the refund, whether for breast and cervical cancer, whether for state nature preserves, whether for the history fund. So we have discovered that it's kind of hard in some of these software packages to find the tax checkoff, and we're going to address that in this next year's campaign. Um, As far as the impacts of the funding, um, there's U.S. grant. I wonder if I can deduct part of my Union Army office. And the Wright brothers? Uh, can I take receipts without addu- Without uh, can I take deductions without receipts? That'll never fly. Um, uh, we've given grants as far as impacts go. We've given grants in 22 of Ohio's 88 counties so far, to the tune of 348 thousand dollars. Now that for that 348 thousand dollars, it's a competitive matching grant, as I said. And so, uh, as far as match goes, those grants have generated. Uh, uh, $658,000 in, in local funds. So uh, the message we like to get out there is for the investment, uh, the average donation this year was $8.60. So for lunch, basically the price of a lunch, 20,000 Ohioans for the price of a lunch, um, we can make these grants, which generates a whole lot of local support for local for local history and local history projects. So that's really the impact for us. And then the next slides, are just some of the projects we have given, we have uh, made grants to. Uh, our grants fall into three broad buckets organizational development, where organizations help themselves. Um, and then, next slide, please. Programs and collections, which is a very broad category. Uh, and then we give grants for, uh, next slide, please. Um, next slide. We give grants for bricks and mortar projects. So we'll replace windows and doors and roofs and things on properties on the National Register of Historic Places. Um, so um, as far as uh, we built a bathroom uh, on a National Registry property in Cincinnati. So um, uh, as far as threats go, that threshold, we need to bring in we, – we've got two years. If we miss it the first year, if we strike, strike the first year, we don't make that $150,000 threshold, we've got one more year to do it. If we don't do that, the tax checkoff drops off the tax form. And that's a real threat to a grant program that's financed 99% through this, through this tax checkoff. Now, what we're doing right now to address that, we want to see if perhaps we can lengthen the time. Uh, instead of two years, maybe lengthen that a little bit to three or four or five years. Uh, we've also been talking about perhaps trying to lower the threshold. I mean, these are, these, this is all very fluid thing right now. So, um, uh, so, I don't have any answers as far as what's going to happen yet. But um, we are trying to address it. Uh, another threat is the promise of a maximum refund. You know, like I said, when you file your taxes, um, all these software packages promise that. Another thing we think about is, with a grant program, you're going to say no a lot more than you say yes. We have to be very careful and very sensitive in how we say no, because we don't want people who hear no, and again, we will say no more than we say yes, to go out and say, those bad people, what, a, what an awful grant program. Um, so we are very dedicated to providing support, counseling, suggestions, comments. So that if people want to resubmit their proposals next year, or submit them for another grant with another agency or another program, we just want to be there for people. So that if maybe their program doesn't get funded through us, at least they'll see the value of the program and resubmit next year or at least not tell other people not to <laughs> contribute to the tax checkoff. So. Um, but uh, the thing that's really, frankly, exciting about this program is that we have to make our case every year, and we keep talking about relevance, and we have to demonstrate the relevance of this program every year. And it's it's we all have things to do, <laughs> but it's it's worth it to have to make that case. So thank you, David. Um, I
2: actually have a question for Eric. Yes. Um, Couple of things about the lodging tax. First of all, traditionally, um, lodging taxes go to fund tourism. Um, are your
0: tourism organizations funded through your lodging tax at
2: all? So the the question is, uh, do we fund tourism organizations through? Or, I
0: mean, or does your like how are your tourism organizations funded well, through lodging?
2: Well, some of the lodging tax, it, not all of the lodging tax, goes to our gotcha. program. Some of the lodging tax goes to the. Visitors and convention, um, um, the, actually to the convention center, okay. and I think that the the visitors uh, convention bureau benefits from that. Okay,
0: so your tax isn't solely dedicated to your program, right?
2: I, and I know that that's different because I'm, I've been in other counties where the the lodging tax is primarily for tourism related um, organizations and and projects, and you always have to make the case that somehow you're going to put heads in beds. We do not do that. Uh, we make the case that um, supporting a robust uh, cultural community is going to uh, benefit everyone. And, and the other thing is that uh, we also make the case that the lodging tax is primarily collected from folks outside of King County. Uh, and that's the case we make to local taxpayers is that you know, these are visitors who are contributing to this fund. So your hoteliers don't feel um, entitled to some voice in how
0: you're making your decisions or some reporting back that demonstrates direct impact in terms of those heads and beds?
2: So the question was whether we hoteliers have a a big say in this, uh, Uh uh, some say in it. Uh, No, actually they don't, uh, but we have made – the case, and this is ongoing. That what we do is going to benefit them uh, as well. Uh, they have been during our uh, political fight in in Olympia. Uh, hoteliers were on our side through that because I think they they recognize that uh, folks are coming to Seattle or King County and staying overnight because of the cultural amenities that are there that we fund.
0: But they they accept that in in. in Broad
2: terms, rather than getting down to, you know, this project that you invested money in, you know, we know had this many people that were out of town. So the yeah, so when you look at what hoteliers think about this, um, first of all, we have to convince them that it's not their money that they're contributing. It's 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 a it's a credit on a on a tax that would be paid by out by visitors. So. Yes, they have a stake, but they're really a pass-through for the money, rather than yeah, contributing others, themselves. Totally yes, yeah, yes, got to figure out your argument. yes, <laughs> yes, ma'am. That, okay so how do how do we get a, an organization like ours in your county and how did how did we create this uh, without um, the same restrictions that uh, hoteliers uh, would have in other counties and I think it has to do with the fact that it, it evolved over time first of all that money was going to the kingdom to pay for the stadium uh, there wasn't much uh, that the hoteliers could say about that. And the money that we were collecting initially wasn't a lot of money. Um, and so it wasn't really on anybody's radar screen. They figured, okay, that's great. Uh, I think we have grown as the fund has grown. Uh, when it came to the time when we our very survival was threatened uh, with This uh, push to build new stadiums, uh, we realized that uh, our years of providing um, funding across the board in in as equitable a way as possible gave us um, a base of political support that came out on our side uh, and came out uh, in in strength for um, continuing what we do. So I think the hoteliers in this, uh, I think they saw the tide (laughs) and realized that this was going to um, benefit them as well as everyone else. So uh, they, they went along with it.
0: Um, so the, the the question was um, do we feel that that safeguarding the funds as set in place is an important part of our job? And yes, I, I think Andy said it well that um, constantly have to be advocating for it, uh, watching it um, when the uh, the legislature was was floating the idea of, of perhaps paying for the Viking Stadium, we got word out to our constituents across the state and uh it was in large respect um due to the the advocacy of our local historical organizations is what we heard anyway um, that you know legislators from all across the state were hearing, "Ah, this is probably not a good use of those funds and so I think you know um I, I want to run through kristen's notes here in a, in a second, and I think some of these same themes will come out, but I think the two themes that I got from what Eric told me, what Andy told me, and what Kristen told me, and comparing with mine, is that the way the funds work best is is uh, um, through a lot of grassroots advocacy. Um, you have to have the local organizations uh, presenting their case. Um, there's always going to be threats because it's a pool of money that is available, and um, there are going to be more elbows at the table eventually, and, and so... Um, there 's a constant conversation going on as to what is and what is not appropriate for these funds and uh, um, and really, it goes back to the grassroots organizations that um, use the money um, to constantly watch over um, the the potential suggestions for those funds.
2: Can I just add that? Um, we cannot advocate directly for these funds; um, we're prohibited from doing that. But when we were in the midst of uh, the fight over our survival, we did call on the grassroots, and we had legislatures uh, calling us and saying, "Enough already! We, you know, we get it." So I think that's a very powerful tool: is to be able to uh, get the troops organized and advocate for you
1: our tax checkoffs are a result of advocacy on behalf of local historical and preservation organizations in Ohio that's just the way that happened um, it wasn't just us banging the drum it was uh, well about 300 local historical organizations that were active and contacted their legislators another thing too um, if there was the threat that the history fund would go away because of this tax checkoff would go away. Um, I would imagine Ohio's local history community would have something to say about that because while every organization hasn't gotten a grant they're also losing the potential to get a grant and we have very strong numbers which demonstrate the good that these do. It's not a, a handout it's an investment that generates local investment and I imagine Our very vocal local historians would have something to say about losing the potential for that investment. So, yes, sir. My my question is, I guess, direct to the the two of you who have actual taxes versus the ability to give a donation. But um, do you find the the taxes in any way affect private donations and memberships, as if? someone would think, well, I'm already being taxed for this, therefore I don't need to be a member, or I don't feel like I should give a donation because the government's already taking my money for this purpose anyways. Is is there any effect?
0: So the the question is, what effect does the uh, taxes have on charitable donations um, to our organizations? Um, I'll take that for the Minnesota Historical Society. If you look at our 990 filed for The year prior to legacy funds um, uh, becoming available, the Minnesota Historical Society was about 74 percent reliant on state funding, and uh, we lost about 10 percentage points um, with the last filing that's available on GuideStar. So um, even though overall funding from the the state has gone up by 35 percent, we've actually um, been able to leverage even more private charitable donations to the Minnesota Historical Society. As a result, um, it can always be. It's hard to draw causality um, because there's many other things that go into that in between um, 2009 and uh, and and 2013. But still, um, that we've been able to lessen our overall reliance while continuing to grow. The funds coming in from the state, I think, says something.
2: So I would just say that you know we we don't get a lot of charitable donations. We just because we look like a government entity, uh, and we are quasi government. Uh, but I would say for the organizations that we fund, um, are it's a sort of a stamp of approval uh, when when they do get funding from for Culture that then they can use to leverage. Um, further donations. So I think it's a benefit for them. Yes, ma'am, in the back. Um, for the tax
1: so, is there any correlation to people who are checking off from those who receive refunds versus those who don't receive We don't know. We um, the Ohio Department of Taxation takes a question. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, is there any correlation, make sure I got this right, between people who get tax refunds and people who give to the tax checkoff? Do I understand that correctly? I wonder, I wonder, my question, I guess people who don't receive refunds. Right. Are they still able to contribute? Do oh, have any way of right. Are people who don't receiving, who are not receiving tax refunds still contributing to the history fund? I'll be honest with you. Um, we really haven't, we've relied a lot on this tax checkoff funding initially And we haven't devoted as many resources to encouraging uh, private donations outside of the tax checkoff for the history fund. I think part of that has to do with the fact that we've got a lot of stuff going on at the Ohio History Connection. So um, uh, if we ask for donations for the history fund, maybe that means somebody won't give to another initiative that we're raising money for. we really haven't developed that side of it yet. We've really relied on that tax checkoff to, to, um, to, to finance. That, that and the license plates. We've got to build that, too. That just started last year. So we're still building the license plate. So that, that leads to another question. Because you're tying in the license plates with the checkoff, yes. do you have any aspirations to go more towards lodging or sales tax? I mean, can you, I mean is that a starting point to get, to get people's mindsets? Not a, not at not at this time. Um, oh, uh, do we have any? Thank you, David. <laughs> I'm just talking. Um, so, do we have any aspirations to go off uh, to go for tax uh, revenue, lodging taxes, things like that? Um, no, we haven't really discussed that at all. And that this tax checkoff isn't a precursor to going going after uh, uh, tax funds. Um, our legislature is very. Uh, tax-averse. Um, that's a non-starter. If we say we want to add three-eighths of an, in, you know, a percentage to the income tax, they'll be like, no. I mean, I, I'll just cut, just let's cut to the chase. No. In this current climate. So we really have found that with all the threats and kind of all the scariness with this threshold thing, that's been the way to go for us to make uh, 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 money available for local historical organizations in, in this climate.
0: Can I, can I just ask what the kind of range of the size of the grants that you wind up giving out? Obviously, your video that you showed was a pretty humble little organization, but does it require, you know, are these big, glossy organizations that put together beautiful grants and have fundraisers and all those things, or who's getting the money? Um, the, so the question was uh, range of grants, t- kinds of organizations. Um, The the kinds of organizations span the gamut of very small organizations that um, You know maybe operate on a budget of ten or twelve thousand dollars in a year on up to multi millions Um, If it's a history project, and it's important to them we will entertain it Um, Just because someone has the capacity to raise other money doesn't keep them from seeking funds here Um, it also doesn't mean that they're going to get the funds. It, it's 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 a very competitive grant program. The the most recent cycle uh, that we're in has 120 uh, applications requesting 14.2 million dollars out of the roughly four million available. Um, so it's it's very competitive, and uh, you know, like I said, the the committee takes its responsibility very seriously to distribute money statewide. And uh, as previously mentioned, about two-thirds of the funding has gone to non-metropolitan uh, organizations, uh, whereas the remainder comes into the metro. Where, and if, if you look at it by population in Minnesota, it could very well be, should maybe be flipped. I don't know. Um, I think they've done a great job of, of finding really high-quality projects. And it's been very ex- accessible by um, small towns. There was a, a town in the first cycle... Under 800 people, they had a historic school listed in the National Register, and uh, I believe they came in third overall, third rated overall, and and so it's it's a very accessible program in the sense that uh, staff stands by, ready to help, coach people through it, encourage them, think about these things, make sure to include, don't forget to talk to an architect, you know, all of those sorts of of, of encouragements, and uh, you know if, if uh, Hewitt can do it as I say, um, than anyone is able to, to participate in the, in the program. Of course, we did switch from an all-paper format to an all-online, and uh, there have been you know maybe a handful of, of folks who have doubted the wisdom of that, but on the other hand, um, dealing with the volume that comes through, there's really no other way that we could do it without taking a chunk of money from the grants uh, that would go out, in order to fund additional staff people that could handle and process all the paper, so for you know a couple of people, you're just going to have to go to the library and use the high power internet that they have there, and and sorry, can't do it from home, if if that's not available to you. But your local library has that you know ability to to help you um, gain access to the internet, so it's accessible. I want to take just a minute to run through Kristen's notes and she was so kind to provide them even though her agency changed its mind on whether she was able to be here today. Um, so in Montana, they have uh, the Montana Cultural Trust. Um, this started, she says, in 1975, setting aside a portion of the coal tax for capital murals and other cultural and aesthetic projects. The funds are allocated every two years and are derived from interest earned on the cultural trust. A committee of 16 members makes the recommendations to the legislature, which determines who will receive the grant funds, and the Montana Arts Council administers the program. The funds come from coal tax, she says, um, and many of the projects are based in coal country, and several key legislators from coal country are now, uh, now strongly support uh, the program. Um, In terms of of the the pros for the the program, she said it impacts every tiny corner of the state, and these organizations are doing amazing work with little bits of money. Uh, The cons are this is a legislative program, so the appropriation reporting and requirements can be cumbersome. We've worked hard to streamline the process. Uh, There have been threats to the funding source. Half of the corpus was taken to purchase Virginia City. Interest on the earnings have been dismally low for the past few biennia in the 1990s There was an 8% interest and awards were uh, 40 to $60,000 range and now they're less than $10,000 In terms of impacts um, here you can see every corner of Montana Um, and Here's another, there's no more notes on this one A head house, I really like the photo um, And then the threats As she noted um, With Virginia City um, There have been threats uh, to the funding source Half the corpus was taken uh, To purchase Virginia City um, And the legislature Thankfully has uh, restored um, the What was borrowed But she said without the interest that it would have accrued um, over the years that it was missing from the the fund, so um, there 's that so Kristen sends those thoughts and notes so if you 're thinking maybe uh, there 's mining or drilling or something going on in, in your community and and thinking about what it might be doing to the cultural environment to the to the built uh, landscape of, of your community, perhaps there 's an opportunity to have a conversation with um, your elected officials to to determine. What could be done to offset the damage that is being done? I, I'm not going to be able to answer questions about, um, about this program, but Kristen's uh, um, contact information here is at the end. So um, we have about uh, 15 minutes left. We did take some questions along the way, but now it's your turn to return fire. Stuart.
1: Secondly, uh, do you all do anything to keep legislators informed of where the grants are being spent? How do you do that? What's been the most effective for that? Right. Uh, that be uh, the, the, what's been the most effective tool for marketing the program, and how, what do we do to keep legislators informed? Um, really, um, I think our most effective marketing tool has been word of mouth, um, but what has opened the door? has been uh, our marketing campaign. I brought along a little bit of swag here. I'm going to start those. Take one if you want it. And I have a, a collapsible uh, basket here. Uh, oh, take, just take it. Um, so our marketing department put together these materials to get the word out about the tax checkoff and the license plate. And uh, then I also got some stuff about the program. Boy, you're getting it today. Boy, ask the last slash hire and then get all the stuff. Uh, um, for, I have to connect. I said I live in
0: Ohio move. and I use a TurboTax <laughs> and I didn't see the thing on my form. I mean, the only reason I went to find it was that someone had posted on social media, like, "Hey, you know, someone in the local history community, like, hey, don't forget, you have to find
1: the tax checkoff." And da da da. So it was really just people putting that out on Facebook yeah, that reminds me to go do it. That's been another effective thing, Stuart, is we've been using social media, and all of our partners have been using social media to remind. A lot of the effort is just reminding people. You know, um, I think where we need to go next is perhaps get some people who have filed electronically, and where did you find the tax checkoff on the form, um, or, or how difficult was it to find the tax checkoff on the form? Um, what? Yes, and for legislators, uh, we are required to submit a report every other year, uh, very brief, two pages, outlining the impact of the program. So we submitted. If you
2: give a grant to a specific
1: county, did you also let the legislators oh, know? Yes, yes, yes. Um, it's, uh, we put it in our grant agreement that you need to send a letter to your state rep, to your state senator, saying that you got a grant and what you did with it. Just a you know one or two page thing, not some long thing. And a lot of people just write one letter and cut and paste. That's fine. Okay. But, yes, we ask. We require them. And on the grant application, we require them to indicate who their state senator and state representative are in the district. And that's pretty easy to find. We provide a link where they can find that information if they don't already know it. So, uh, yeah, we ask them. Yeah. And we require them to. And as a matter of fact, in our final reporting, uh, they have to cut and paste the letter into the uh, final report. So we have proof. And, again, it's not a very arduous thing. It's just... How much you got? What
0: you did? The good that it did, and it's a one-page letter. So, you know, uh, we also do that at the Minnesota Historical Society. We're required to report on January fifteenth of every year, and it's a, a floor-colored, glossy, spiral-bound uh, notebook that everybody gets with the many things. Because it, with our legacy funding, it's more than just the grant program. There are other things that we do. We have partnership funds. So, if you know two or three of you in the room. Uh, we 're in Minnesota and wanted to band together to do some sort of a partnership project. There are more funds beyond the grant dollars that are available, and so there 's also projects the Minnesota Historical Society undertakes, and there are also other earmarks that flow through us um, that all get reported upon and, and every time we make a grant um, it 's the Minnesota Historical Society that sends a letter to the legislator um, with it 's it's great that, that Andy has has offloaded that work because um, Uh, Onto the grantees, Um, but what what we do, and and um, you know, there's there's some merit in what we do too, in that that we send it to the legislator, legislator, um, you know, about the same time that they're getting it, so that the legislator, before the media, can. Uh, be the first to congratulate them. And often, many of them are very good about getting out a press release that, you know, uh, Representative So and So's office congratulates this organization on getting this grant, even before the formal media uh, press releases come out from the Minnesota Historical Society. Re- related to that, for us, we announced, we,
1: we, uh, we publicly, how do we let our legislators know? So we have the letters. Um, but we publicly announce grant recipients on our, at our Statehood Day event at the State House, to which all the legislators are invited, and our, media, and our government relations person, Todd Kleismet, Cl- gets the word out to the state reps um, uh, before, the, before the Statehood Day event. So they find out about the actual grants um, before uh, we release it, release it to the media. May, maybe it's only 24 hours before, but they, they, they get notice.
0: Yeah, and, and we also, just for clarity too, we, we also have an annual statehood or not a statehood day, but it 's called History Matters Day at the capitol, so every you know advocacy or public policy um, sort of endeavor in the state there 's an arts day there 's a you know, um, small cities day there, et etc at the Capitol. and so we have one for for history as well, and we invite in anyone and everyone who has something to say about history. And we have tables out and legislators can walk by and talk to us if they are so inclined and many do. Um, and it gives everyone a chance as a private citizen then to go visit his or her legislator and uh, and talk with them about what the funding means. And, uh, um, and Amy who was on, that I showed you on, on the clip, um, she's been one of our most articulate uh, folks and um, I, I regret to say that. Uh, their family has moved to a different state so um, Ohio uh, uh, not quite uh, North Dakota so uh, um, North Dakota but at any rate uh, many are just as articulate as Amy is but she's been one of, the, one of our um, just real big champions for, for how this money is used and how it's so well used. So, are there other questions? Make sure I get to this side of the room too.
2: I will just uh, add as far as what we do for advocacy getting the word out um, it's not as formal Um, we encourage our recipients uh, to uh, contact their um, county council members because we are just uh, one county uh, to let them know what they've received from us and uh, of course we we blog about it as well but we also have uh, on a rotating basis, we have county council members serving on our board, because we are are governed by a board. So they they stay. Uh, we educate. It's constant education of of the county council as to what we're doing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, ma'am. So, the the question is Has anyone connected to community reinvestment funding? Redevelopment funding? Redevelopment area funding. And uh, for my part, I I do not know of anyone who has. Anyone in the the room? Any last questions? Well, thank you for coming out this morning. Great job uh, on the questions. And, and, of course, in true pirate fashion, you're going to fill out your surveys. <laughs> <laughs>
2: or, or walk yep. the plank.
0: Just circle all the tens. Just make it easy
1: on yourself. Go to the next session. I'm joking. Yep. Give us good feedback. Yep.
0: And, and the panel will hang around if you've got questions. Um, I'm not sure if there's another one in here right after or not. But Please, take it. The next one's in, like, a half hour. Yep. It's a really great session. Thank you, guys. Oh.